I'm Chris Hagen. For those who don't know, I've been a language coach for many years. In my career, I've taught a wide variety of people from famous singers and radio presenters to doctors, uni students, and yes, even desperate housewives trying to find an English lover. I finally decided to share my thoughts, tips and tricks with the world. Also check out my YouTube channel if you want to see my ugly mush. So let's kick off this podcast with a great jingle. Doesn't matter where you are, in the car or at the bar. Is an anagram of risk. Chris. For what do these two sounds remind you of? Golf, of course. Now, golf has been known as a very, 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 very boring sport. But last night, until about two o'clock in the morning, I was playing mini golf with three friends. Yes. After midnight, I was playing mini golf. Now, did you know mini golf has got many different names in different countries? Miniature golf? Okay, mini golf is the abbreviation of miniature golf. Midget golf? I imagine lots of little people playing golf. Goofy golf? The guy from, is he Disney? Yeah, I think he's from Disney. Shorties, never heard of that before. Extreme golf? Not that extreme, really, the one we played last night. Crazy golf? Okay, fine. Adventure golf? The one we played last night was not much of an adventure. It was quite flat and a couple of things. But I was quite good. I came second. Yay! I want to beat Peter next time. Mini putt, because to put is the verb. Putter golf, this I don't like. And so I'm sure there's many others. But joking aside, last night was actually quite fun. Okay, we were not on the professional one. The professional one with all the fancy things like the windmills and a very big tower of Jenga bricks. It was like, yay, I want to go over there. Yay, that's for us. No. Us there not so professional people were over on the little one looking quite amateur but we did very very well we scored quite high or quite low because in in golf you're supposed to score low because if you get a high score it means you're terrible Four! but i'm impressed with myself because last night at one point i hit it so hard i nearly put a hole in a tree behind the putting green which was actually red and probably concrete and hard there's no grass so there's no green well, putting, what do you call it? Putting concrete? Don't know. And as well, the group of people who were at the one in front of us, the, what do you call it? The thing in front of us, the hole in front of us, the last kid to play was called Marco. And basically every time that we finished, because there's only four of us, poor Marco was still trying to put his ball in the hole, in the one in front of us. And so I'm sure he felt a lot of pressure from our four times two is what? Mm-hmm. Eight eyes looking at him continuously. Poor Marco. Now, we've still not figured out what a partial score is. If anybody knows, please let us know. Because there was partial score and full score for each hole. Partial score. What? I really don't understand what could be partial. You either get it or you don't. Now, so this mini golf thing last night got me quite excited. I thought, oh, let me check out some wonderful facts about mini golf. And I found out that in the 1920s, well, by the late 1920s, in New York City, just in New York City, there was already over 150 mini golf courses. And many of these were on the rooftops of some of the city's high rise buildings. Well, I like mini golf, but there's no way you get me on the top of a high rise building with like 30 floors, not even 30. In America, there are things that were 60 floors. There's no way I'm going up there. But also, imagine if you hit it off the putting green. You'll kill somebody if it falls 60 floors. But something that I found quite interesting, there are actually glow-in-the-dark mini golf courses. These I want to play up. I love the dark. 
And these were first introduced in Scandinavian countries such as Finland because they have short days and long nights. And so the glow-up courses and glow-up balls, wow, glow-up balls as well, they could play the game all year round. How nice. Now, September the 21st is Global Mini Golf Day. I hope I go to play mini golf again before September the 21st, unless something stops me. But I was thinking maybe I could put one on my roof terrace. Do you think I can combine a mini golf course with a Zen garden? Would it still be Zen with all those balls and all those clubs? Hmm. Say it! Now, I don't know much about golf terminology. I've heard some words, for example, when people shout, four, I actually thought they were shouting for the number and didn't understand a damn thing. So what I thought was, listen, I'm not a golfer yet, but I want to find out some of the vocab and actually understand what people are shouting around these golf courses because otherwise I haven't got a clue and maybe I could end up in trouble. So I found a couple of the words that I've heard before and some of them I actually knew. I was quite chuffed with myself. Like, hey, I know two words out of 20. So we're going to have a look at some of these words. So the first one is an ace. Now, an ace to me is what you find in a deck of cards. But in golf, it means a hole in one. Last night, I didn't get any aces. All my friends did. I didn't because I'm terrible. So basically, an ace is hitting the ball into the hole in one stroke. That was that was me. That wasn't the sound effect. <laughs> Oh, God, it's too hot. Sunday morning. Now, par. I had a friend at school called Matthew Par, and it was the same spelling, I think. A par, not the par, is the number of strokes that a skilled golfer is expected to make on a hole. So, basically, when you go there, they tell you the par on this is three. In other words, you should, if you're skilled, we're not, but if you're skilled, you should only take three strikes or hits or whatever you want to call it to get your ball in the hole hmm now sweet spot now i know what a sweet spot is but sweet spot in golf i had no idea i kind of understood it when i read the definition it's basically the center of the club face the club is one of the clubs huh, there you go because well are they all called clubs don't know the center of the club face which will produce the longest shot from a given club that's obviously the definition i didn't think of that sentence myself the center of the club face which will produce the longest shot from a given club so basically the best place to hit the ball with the club to make the ball travel the furthest now tell me you people who actually play golf can you really see where the ball is when you whack it a kilometer and you put your hand up above your eyes and go oh i can see the ball are you just lying it's impossible to see the thing that's tiny flying through the sky no now this next one i actually knew yay i knew one Teas, nothing to do with a drink. The spelling is T-E-E-A-T, teas, plural. They're them little plastic things. Well, I've only seen plastic ones, but apparently you can also get wooden ones and earth-friendly composite material ones for all those people out there who are earth-friendly people. So it's the thing that you actually put in the ground and place your ball on top of it so the ball is not actually on the grass or concrete like last night. In fact, last night we played it on the concrete. We had no teas. That's what was missing. That's why I didn't win. The tea box, again, is not a box with tea bags in it or with loose tea, tea leaves. It's the box where you put your tea in the ground. So basically, it's also called the teeing ground or the teeing area, where you tee off from. Tee off is the phrasal verb you use when you hit your ball from the tee. Now, for, the thing I was saying before, is F-O-R-E, not F-O-U-R. 
when someone shouts, four, basically it's a warning. In other words, the ball's coming towards you, run. Now the next word is handicap. Now this I never actually understood. A handicap is the number that represents your playing ability. So over the entire golf course, your handicap is a number and the lower the number, the better the golfer is. In fact, that's why I said before, it, the, the score should be lower, not higher. So I'm thinking maybe I was third last night then. I don't know, I need to check the score chart. Now let's have a look at the names of some of the shots. Well, not really the shots, the scores. The scores actually have names. Albatross, Birdie, Bogey and Eagle. I'm sure I've missed some out. If I have, doesn't matter. Four for today are plenty for me to put into my little brain. So the first one, Albatross. This word reminds me of the song by Aron Choupa. Do you remember? I'm an albatross. But the fact that the girl couldn't pronounce it correctly and said, I'm an albatross, kind of spoiled it for me. The music was really, really good. Go and check it out on YouTube or wherever you want to check it out on. Hey, hold on. You're on Spotify now or Apple Podcasts or wherever. Look for it after you've finished with my podcast. Not now. I'm an albatross. Albatross. Someone needs to teach her how to pronounce it. So an albatross is a hole played three shots under par. Now you know what par means. So an albatross, a hole played three shots under par, which means it's really good. A birdie is a score of one less than par. A bogey is not the thing that comes out of your nose, even though it is, but in golf, it's not. A score of one over par. So you're getting bad here now. So a bogey is a score of one over par. Ah, and then there's the eagle, a beautiful bird. Albatross, birdie and eagle, all these birds. A score of two under par is an eagle. Okay, so albatross, three under par. Eagle, two under par. Birdie, one under par. And bogey, one over par. And if you do two over par, you're probably just terrible. Now this next expression, well, it's not really an expression for golfers, I think. I think it's actually words. But for me, it sounds like an expression. Tending the flagstick. Now, I thought it was slang for male golfers having a wee. I'm sorry, I need to tend the flagstick. But it actually means standing in close proximity to the hole or holding the flagstick, the flagstick, allowing a player to see the hole and then removing it as the ball approaches. So, you know, when you see their men standing there holding the flag, you think, what are you doing? And then he lifts it up to let the ball go in or not go in. He's tending the flagstick. At least he's not having a wee on it. Now, a caddy is the person who is paid to carry the player's clubs and offer advice. Don't know what advice he offers, maybe psychological advice. You're having relationship problems. And so maybe the caddy can give you advice on this. But the caddy we didn't have last night, we had to carry our own clubs. Also, halfway around the course last night, we all wanted a drink and we had to stop and go to the bar. Well, one of us did. The other three sat there and waited for the other one. Bless him. But if we had a caddy, I think he would have done that for us. Now, the word whiff, whiff, God, there's a strong whiff in here. Whiff usually means a smell of something. But in golf, it means a golf swing in which the player intends to hit the ball, but completely misses. I would call it a miss shot, but they call it a whiff. And the last word that's connected to golf that I want to look at, which I came across, is duff. I thought that was the beer, the favourite beer of Homer Simpson from Springfield. But it's not. Duff so a duff is a bad shot now that's plenty of golf vocabulary for today i don't want you falling asleep what do you want what do you want 
Now, in today's podcast, I'm going to make a phone call with my friend Laura, who lives in Nashville. Maybe you've seen her on my YouTube channel. She's the girl I met over Frico. She also asked Kelly a question or two. Cheeky girl asking too. Only joking. She's a wonderful person, and I thought I'd catch up with her on Skype. So, we talked about a few different things. We talked about the COVID problem in America, also the fact that Donald Trump is still in America, and he's not wearing a mask. And also we talked about a few other things, which I'm so I'm little, little in previous pod, previous no in subsequent podcasts. I'm sure you will hear. But today I want to actually talk with her. Well, I want to play with you. Play with you. <laughs> that sounds pervy. I want to play part of the call, which is actually quite serious and quite important because I keep saying to people, many people, you're deaf, and they don't listen to me. Maybe because they can't hear me. And Laura, she actually works in this in this industry, in this field. So let's listen to the chat I had with Laura. So now is a serious moment. Have you got your serious head on? Okay. See if you can understand that. She has a very nice voice. Can you hear me properly? Um, not really. Let me get see if I can. Sometimes it has problems. No, no, it's me. I was trying to use the headset because I thought the connection would be better. I'm technically scheduled to start traveling for work again next Monday. I have a flight booked. Oh, okay. And I, I don't to know where? that I want to take it to Louisiana. Um, but I don't I don't know that I I don't know that I want to get on a plane. It's how do you know what to do? Mm. So would you drive so, though? Would you actually drive there? I, I would drive, but it would take two days, so I'd have to stop over maybe okay. in Memphis. Mm -hmm. um, or Jackson, Mississippi. You need to come over and we'll do a little tour. Uh, gladly. So explain what your job actually is because I don't actually know or understand. So uh, probably it, the second it's two one. parts. <laughs> <laughs> it's two parts. I am uh, an audiologist. So mm -hmm. by training, I have a doctoral degree in testing hearing, diagnosing hearing loss, balance testing, hearing protection, fitting hearing aids, um, working with people with, with hearing impairment that want to hear better, basically. Oh, okay. But, yeah, but my job is uh, not in a clinic anymore. I used to work in a clinic doing all these things. And now I work for a company called Unitron, who right. makes hearing I saw aids. some events and things that you go to, like conferences yeah. you go around. Yeah, exactly. So I train the people who fit the hearing aids. Oh, okay. So... In the United States, there are two levels, uh, two different types of professionals who fit hearing aids. One is the audiologist who has the doctoral degree, which is what I have. Mm -hmm. But there's also a hearing instrument specialist who gets a certification and doesn't do the medical part of it. They just do the hearing aid part of it. So I go around in my area that I cover, which is Tennessee, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And I teach those people about our hearing aids and why they're good and what they offer and how to use them optimally and what patients what you know what patients need which hearing aids and that kind of thing. And is there still a stigma so there about hearing aids? Oh yeah. People still don't want to wear them. People still don't want to wear them. They think that uh, they think that they're too expensive. They think that it makes them look old. Um, mm. All kinds of all kinds of, of complaints about wearing hearing aids. But it's interesting um, because in the U.S. Hearing aids aren't generally covered, you know. In the like in in the UK, there's the NHS provides hearing aids for everybody if they want them. And there they're not. 
and and they're they, they still don't in America want. they're not covered no they're not covered it's interesting in the US about 20 22 23 percent of people with a hearing loss who could benefit from hearing aids buy them hmm. At only 20 but what well, in the UK where they're free the last time I saw numbers it was not much more it was like 24 25 percent so it's not even the though they're free keeps people <laughs> even though they're free yep uh, it's not the money that keeps people from buying hearing aids it's it's some something else. Either they think it makes them look old, or they don't want to accept the fact that they have a hearing loss for some reason. We both know you and I both know many musicians, and you oh. know musicians. Their hearing is terrible, and they, they don't awful. admit it. And I said to them sometimes, "Listen, get a hearing aid," and they're like, "Wow, well, no, I'm only 30. And I'm like, "Yeah, but you're deaf." <laughs> yeah, but you, yeah, yeah. They noise, any kind of noise damages your hearing, even if it's lovely noise like music. Um, I, I live in Nashville, and so there's all kinds of musicians in Nashville, and it it's like a whole specialty because musicians use sound and hearing in a completely different way than regular people, um, and they don't want to get hearing aids, and they, you know, especially guitar players don't want to turn their guitars down, mm. and so I have this battle with them all the time, like turn it down, wear some hearing protection. But I can't hear it, and I'm like, well, you can if you get the right hearing. You know, if you if you put foam earplugs in your ears, it doesn't sound good. It sounds like crap. But oh, really? if you get the nice custom filtered hearing protection, which is expensive, but you know you have it for a long time, then that's much better. And, and it's worth they don't, it. It's totally worth it. It's an investment because this the it's the worst is the engineers, hmm. engineers who wear headphones all the time. And they're mixing things and they turn it up really loud and then they can't and then they can't hear. And it the way noise induced hearing loss works generally is you lose it starts out around three or four thousand hertz, the hearing mm -hmm. loss, and then it goes down and spreads from there. So people lose a certain pitch from noise and and it's always a high frequency hearing loss for musicians. And so and, and for engineers and producers, it, and it's so frustrating because then that distorts the music. Hey, yeah, and you can't hear it properly as well. Exactly. Or, or they get like a, sometimes they get a, you know, they'll have ringing in their ears that's louder than the music, or they'll have um, a dis, just a distortion of the sound. And it's, it's insane. Like, I'm, you won't be, able, once it's gone, the thing I can't communicate to them is once it's gone, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. And even if you get hearing aids, it's better, but it's it's not going to bring it back. And that's and as, and as well, I mean, many I mean, people we invest so much in now in aesthetic things like facials, like plastic surgery or Botox, and the, people are always wasting money on these stupid things, which are not really important. But yet, when it comes to things like a hearing aid or to improve your hearing or look after your hearing, they don't want to spend money and they don't want no. to do it. Yeah. It's all silliness and superficiality. And, and we're in a world like that now, unfortunately. Yeah. Actually, I think I might get some Botox tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no. When, when quarantine ends, I'll have to make an appointment. <laughs> so that was Laura in Nashville giving us some very sound advice. See what he did there? Sound advice. Also, if you get a hearing aid because you can't hear properly, you can hear my podcast better. Now, one of the reasons why I'm calling Laura is not only because we can chat for hours and put the world to rights, it's also so you can hear the difference between my accent, which is British, and her accent, which is American. 
One of the things you've probably heard is the fact that she pronounces the letter R a lot. Basically, always. In British English, so UK, Australia, Caribbean, where we speak British English, the letter R is only pronounced when followed by a vowel. Okay, so only if the R is followed by a vowel, we pronounce it. Well, this is the general rule anyway. In American English, this, so America, Canada, and all you people who prefer American English over British English. <laughs> I'm so sad. You always pronounce this letter R. So, for example, sorry in English, sorry. I can't do an American accent. My American accent is terrible. Teacher, teacher. Er. Very sexy, no? Maybe I prefer an American accent now. My God, what's happening to me? But sometimes in English, you will hear an R at the end of a word. And that's not because it's there at the end of the word. It's because we use it as a glide to help us get into the next word, which begins with a vowel sound. So, for example, he's the teacher of maths. He's the teacher of physical education. He's the teacher of sex education. It doesn't really exist. Does it exist anymore? I remember learning about plums and a banana. That's about it at school. Yeah, Mr. Holland. Hello, Mr. Holland. I wonder if he's still married to Mrs. Smith, my maths teacher. Hmm. He showed us a video about a naked man walking through a corridor and the video paused when he was outside of the room and he paused in a very strange position. That's all I remember about sex education. Now, like I said before, it was the general rule that in British English, we don't pronounce the R unless it's followed by a vowel. But obviously in England, we have many accents. And so some accents will use the R. Okay, and I'm sure in America, some people don't pronounce the R. So now that you're experts in mini golf and you know how to pronounce the letter R, I'm going to hand you over to the jingle. See you next week. Doesn't matter where you are, in the car or at the bar. Here for you comes in your ears, another word for things is cheers. Here's the new kid from the block, here for you around the clock. Shining on his English lips, Chris. Is an anagram of risk.